was awesome. I know we haven't uh, we haven't sung that song since Easter, but you guys just sounded great today from the very beginning. And it's awesome to uh, be together. If you're visiting with us, we're happy to have you. And we are continuing our summer series on faith. And next week, uh, Jake's going to close it out with Samson. And uh, so we spent Samuel. We already did Samson. I was just making sure you were paying attention a few weeks ago. And you were, so that's good. Uh, but uh, we're, we're uh, encouraged to be building our faith. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a guy that you may or may not have heard too much about, a guy named Jephthah. And try to say that one ten times fast, Jephthah. And if you look in the bottom uh, left there, it says strength and struggle. And he, he knew a lot about strength and he knew a lot about struggle. And so he was a, a, a guy that had some really good qualities, and he had some really not-so-good qualities. And uh, we're going to be looking at that here in just a minute. Uh, let's, get, uh, let's have a prayer, and then we'll get started. Uh, Father, we do thank you for this day. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for being together. I pray that you can open up your word to us, God. Help us to open up our hearts to you. I know that you move through your word, that it's powerful, that it's sharper than a double-edged sword, God, that it can move mountains. And I pray that you get me out of the way here in the next few minutes, that you can open up our hearts to you, and you can change us, mold us, shape us, help us to grow into what you want us to be. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jephthah, he's in the Hall of Faith, but you have to look really closely. You just kind of go right by him. His name is in there. That's all that's there. Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, and who through faith conquered kingdoms. And he, he conquered some kingdoms, right? He overthrew some people. The, the scripture goes on. He administered justice and everything. Jephthah was not that guy. He wasn't the, the greatest fella in the world. He wasn't very diplomatic. Uh, and, and that's kind of to his shame. But he is in here because uh, he's was used to save God's people. And if you can find another reason why he's in there, I'd like to see it, because he's a hard guy to preach on. This is the first sermon I've ever preached on this guy, Jephthah. And as we get going, as we get going, you'll see why. But uh, turn over to Judges chapter 10. (laughs) This is a really tough sermon to do, I'll tell you. Making Jephthah positive. That's a good one. It said, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is said seven different times throughout the book of Judges that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the gods of Aram and the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites and the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord... And no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years they were oppressed, all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. The Amorites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. Israel was in great distress. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, we have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving 
the Baals. And it, as we're going through judges, these four last three weeks and one more, they're all about the different judges. And this is the same or similar story over and over where they fall into sin. They follow other gods and they cry out to him after they get desperate enough. And then God saves them. My point number one is we are blessed when we follow the Lord and vice versa. We're cursed when we turn away from the Lord. That was kind of what happened here. But the message I want for us is that you will be blessed if you follow God. If you decide I'm going to go with his way for my life and not my own, your life is going to go better. And the vice versa is true. If you decide, hey, I'm going to go my way and I'm going to turn away and ignore the Lord, then your your life is going to go kind of like these guys. And it took them 18 years to finally cry out to God. You know, from what I've seen in life, God is working on all of us to get us to that very point. And we can either do it the the nice, happy way where we see all the blessings and we want that from God. Or we can do it the vice versa way that these guys had to go through. I love this scripture. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are, because we are united with Christ. That if you're in Christ, that you are blessed in all the heavenly realms, that he has given you all of his resources, they're at your disposal. Now, that doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to go great, that we're all going to be rich. That we're all going to have perfect families, that nothing bad is ever going to happen to us, but we will have the strength to overcome. We will have support in our life. We will have conviction. We will know which way to go as God leads us, and ultimately he will take us to heaven, as Lacey shared in an amazing way. You know, the difference is going through all that without God. You don't have hope. You don't have the faith that he's working good through this. And you don't have the conviction that he is refining my faith. So when troubles and trials happen, you crumble. And I want to hold her up uh, for her spirituality and for her fighting with God in a good way. Amen. And I like her. My family doesn't talk about emotions too much either. So you did really good. You know, but God always raises up someone to save us. You know, I was going through my phone this week, and you know how you come across those numbers that you haven't seen in years? And you kind of go, well, I wonder if they still have this phone number. So I did that to this guy named William Zapponi. And, you know, he texted me back. He texted me right back, and it was the most religious text I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, he's blessed, and God's, you know, he's walking on the seventh heaven. And I just was like, wow, so... Really? Like, really? Is that what's really going on? Because I met him a couple years earlier and he was overcoming substance abuse. And, and, you know, there was a couple guys that actually Mark Avila brought out to church and they were both kind of going through the substance abuse program. And 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 so I texted him back, you know, I said, so how's it going with your recovery? You know, because it's, it's easy to say how great things are going, but, you know, you really want to, if you care about somebody, you really want to know, like, how's it really going? Like, you might say it's going good, but how's it really going? And so I texted him back, and he texted me back. He said, wow, I've been, I've been clean for two years. I got a job. My life is going great. And the next thing he says was, 
Do you have Mark Avila's number? Because I lost it. You know, and then he took a break and I'm, I'm looking up the number and he sends me this like long text. Did he call you? Okay. I won't give it away then. But he, I, I met him a little bit. I had a little bit of interaction with him. So, you know, I was like, okay. But man, Mark was the guy. And he's like, man, i got to talk to Mark. Mark's like my hero and mentor in the faith and blah, blah, blah. I'll let him share that with you. Um, but it just made me realize, well, I bet Mark didn't know that two years ago, God used him to change this guy's life forever, where he's now his spiritual mentor and the guy that he looks up to. And it was an amazing reminder that God uses people like us to change people's lives. That when we're using the word on our friends and God uses us, when we're loving people, when we're pouring ourselves out, we don't always see it, but God wants to use us. As he used Jephthah in his spiritual claim to fame here, he wants to use you maybe today. Maybe somewhere in this fellowship, God has a plan for you. To change someone's life. Maybe this week. Maybe as you're starting the fall and you're going back to wherever you're going back to. Or you're just at the same job you've always been at. Maybe God is doing something to put someone in your life that because of who you are, you're able to help them. Not because we're all so great. Because we're messed up. But we have the word. We have the truth. And that's what changes people's lives. And I know I'm excited as we're getting into the singles ministry and we're going to the singles conference this, this next weekend. And I'm just, amen, singles. I'm excited to see what God is going to do. And he's already started working. You know, one of the guys that came out uh, because of Sean, you know, we got together yesterday. We talked about the Bible and, you know, had a great time together. And as we we're going back to the car, he says, you know what? I don't have any spiritual men in my life. Right now. And I just, it was like one of the saddest things. He said it in a really good way, but I was like, man, that is so sad. That you don't have what we have. That you don't have mentors. That you don't have direction. You don't have someone you can talk to about God. About your faith. About your struggles. Someone who actually cares. And it it got me so excited that, man, God is doing something in this person's life. You know, but he wants to do that in the teens, in the campus, in the marriage, wherever we go. You never know when he's going to use you if you're ready. Jephthah wasn't really ready, but God chose him and used him in an amazing way. Well, who was this guy? Who was Jephthah? He, he didn't have the best resume. He was from the tribe of Manasseh. That was good. He was Gileadite. That wasn't bad. His father's name was actually Gilead, too. But his mother was a prostitute. And when he was the firstborn and when the other kids were born, after they grew up a while, they kicked him out. And they said, you, were, you know, anybody that was born from another woman, you're, you're out of here. You're not getting an inheritance. You're going to live on your own. And so he goes out to live with these band of marauders. I don't know if they were like mercenaries that they would be hired out and they would like pillage villages and... You know, so he wasn't the greatest guy. He did what he what he did there. But, uh, you know, uh, but God used him despite all of that, which is amazing. 
you know, even he could have a blessed life. And look in uh, Judges 10, verse 11. It continues on with the story. So the Israelites, they cried out to God. They're in distress. They can't take it anymore. And let's see what God has to say. He says, the Lord replied, when the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, all these people, the Sidonites, the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you and cried, you cried to me for help. Did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. God's reminding him, hey, you went to the well seven other times, and I saved you from these seven other people, and you're coming to me now, you're on your own. What? I mean, God, he's the genie, right? He's supposed to just, whenever I snap my fingers, come and save me, come to the rescue. In verse 14, God says, go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you're in trouble. Wow. But the Israelites said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord. And he could bear Israel's misery no longer. That they came to God and God said in manner of speaking, prove it. You know, are you coming to me because you're in distress or do you really love me? You know, do you really want to please me? And even then, God's heart, it says he could hardly bear their misery. Finally couldn't bear it any longer. But once they confessed their sin and they surrendered themselves to God, he showed up. Isn't that how God works? I mean, he saves us, he saves us, he saves us, he saves us, he saves us. And finally he says, you know what, you know enough about me that I'm not your genie anymore. You got to actually do something. And you can imagine them with all these idols. There were seven of them going around their houses, taking them out, burning them, crushing them, throwing them all out, going to the tabernacle, worshiping God, confessing their sin. And then God says, you know what, I I think you're ready now. (laughs) You know, sometimes when we, we, we can feel the same way, right? We try to help someone over and over and over and over, and finally we're just like, man, forget you. God actually got to that same place, except with more love than we typically do. Because his heart still broke. But there's an important lesson here that goes along with this blessed life. It says, repentance is not when you cry, but when you change. You know, we all cry when we get in distress, when we're in a tough situation. We all feel like, oh, man, my life is ending. This is terrible. Get me out of here. That's not repentance. That might be repentance, but it might just be bad, uh, consequences of your bad decisions. Yeah, true. But when we really come to God with these, this attitude, and these are some of the scriptures that a lot of you know. In Luke 9, 62, this is Jesus Well, Jesus would never be that way. Jesus always comes to my rescue. As soon as I need him, he's there. 
It says, Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So basically he's saying, if you start out with me and you want to go back, then you're not ready to follow me. That I want you to be focused and not looking back. That was the message in Hebrews to the, to the Christians because they were thinking of going back to their other life. In 2 Corinthians 7, it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. And in this situation, God was testing them to see, okay, what are you going to do if I say no? Are you going to keep fighting and say, oh, well. You know, if you really want to find God, there's no one that in this room or anywhere that can keep you from him. If you look at the people that found him, they were the ones that made their effort and their, their goal was to find God no matter what. And that's what eventually happened. And when they did, God showed up. So my encouragement for you, if you want a blessed life, you got to throw away the idols that you have. You've got to turn away from the false gods of this world and turn to God. And it's amazing when you go back and look at all the different idols, you could summarize them into two categories. One was prosperity and comfort. That, that people wanted to get rich and they wanted to be comfortable more than they really wanted to follow God because that was hard. Or it was love and sex. So relationships, they, they went away from God because of their relationships, their desire for relationships outside of God. Ungodly relationships or ungodly sin. You know, when you look at those are the same things that keep us from God today. We want to be comfortable. We want relationships. We don't trust God. We don't think it's, His way is the best. And He's like, if you want to come to me, you've got to get rid of these things especially if you've been around for a while. If this is your first time here, first time really seriously looking into God, man, when, I was, when it was my first time, God, it's like God answered my prayers. Every time I threw them out there, they were answered. Before I even walked outside, they were answered. So God meets us wherever we're at. But he's talking to these Israelites who've been stuck and stuck and stuck and stuck. And maybe that's not you, but God, God does want to hear your prayers. But eventually, he wants us to get rid of, and he calls all of us to get rid of our idols. Amen. Okay, amen. Okay, Judges 11. We're going to move to the next chapter, next point. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, oh no, the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He's going to go fight the bad guys. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah and Gilead, and there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's. And I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated twenty towns from Aor to the vicinity of Minith, and as far as Abel Karamim. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of timbrels? She was an only child. 
Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter! You have brought me down and I am devastated. I made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, You have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you have promised. Now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites, but grant me this one request. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I'll never marry. You may go, he said. And, and he let her go for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After two months, she returned to her father and he did to her as he vowed. And she was a virgin. From this comes the Israelite tradition that each young woman of Israel will go out to four days to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. Point number two. Don't make a rash vow. Right? He's going to battle. He's getting scared. He's like, okay, let me just make one more deal with God. He didn't need to do that, but he just wanted to throw out an extra bargaining chip or something. And he said that he would sacrifice it when it came out. Most people think that he thought it would maybe be the family dog or the, you know, uh, a goat or a chicken or somebody. They had they kept all their animals in their front yards. He figured, hey, it's just going to be something like that. And uh, the, the second point to that, if you make a rash vow, don't be twice as dumb and follow through with it. Right in Proverbs six, it says, if you make a rash vow. Go to the person and plead your case. Allow no sleep, no slumber to your eyes. Basically, whatever you got to do, get out of it. So not only does he make this terrible vow, but he follows through on it with his daughter. Now, you might be thinking what I was thinking at this time. So why is this guy in the Heroes of Faith again? Like, uh, what, what, why would he be one of the heroes? And uh, you're not the first to think that. There's two schools of thought on this. Some people feel like he actually did fulfill the vow that he killed her and offered her as a burnt offering. Um, that could be true, but that's a tough one. That's a tough one right there. So... That's what the bad guys were doing. They were worshiping this God called Molech, and they would offer their children to him as a sacrifice. So I'm not sure that if you did that, you would become in the Hall of Faith. What, what other people feel like is that he redeemed his daughter to the temple. In Leviticus 27, when you made a vow like this, you could redeem her with money or a different sacrifice, but then the kid would become a part of the temple, kind of like Samuel. You know, and, and they had these women that would serve, and, and most of the time it was after they, uh, after they were widowed. So after her husband died, they would go and they would serve at the tabernacle. So maybe that was why they were lamenting that she would never marry, because she would go to the temple and she would never be able to have kids, uh, which in that time was, was not a very good thing culturally. So whatever happened right there, either way, don't make a rash vow in your life. Anybody ever done that before? You know, you commit to something you can't do, you, you, whatever it is. And if you do it, don't follow through with it. Press your case, do whatever you can. I've had this happen to me a lot. 
And I don't know about a lot, but I've had it happen a number of times where that's a stressful feeling like, oh, my gosh, I'm stuck. Press your case and he'll get you. God will, will, will open your way. It says, like, uh, free yourself like a gazelle with a hunter or a bird in a snare. That's where Dave Ramsey got that from. When you get caught in a vow, that's how you get yourself out. Um, and the second part of this, don't make a rash vow, but make a right vow. The power of a vow. You know, the first century Christians, when they decided that they were going to follow Christ, there was this time when they would come before the assembly and they, or before whoever was there, and they'd make a vow to God. And it would be simple as this. They would say, Jesus is Lord. And we say that as a, almost like a tradition because that's just kind of what we do. But at the time, in order to trade and do business, you would have to say, Caesar is Lord to be able to open your business. And so to be able to say Jesus is Lord was basically saying Caesar's not Lord, Jesus is Lord now. He's the king of my life. You know, he's the one that calls the shots. That was an offense, and that's why Christians got killed, because it was an offense to Rome. But the vow that all of you made who were followers of Christ, Jesus is Lord, is the most sacred vow that any of you could ever make. When we have a baptism and someone says that, I mean, it's, it's just impossible not to cheer and not to clap and not to. Because when you understand what that means, it is a powerful and special moment that they commit themselves to Christ. You know, but when you make this vow to Christ, you have to make your vow again and again and again. You don't just make it once and it's over. But at, in making that vow, you commit. You have committed, many of you, to be followers of Jesus. No matter where he wants me to go or what he wants me to do, I'm going to do it. That I'm going to love people like Christ. That I am his son or his daughter. He becomes my identity. You know, my job doesn't define me. My education doesn't define me. My ethnic background doesn't define me. Jesus defines me. That's who I am. I'm a disciple of Christ. You know, you commit yourself to walk with Jesus, to walk in the light, to not hide your sin, to allow people into your life and to know you, to walk boldly and to speak boldly and to let the chips fall where they may when we're defending the Bible. That there's a spirit of confidence and of encouragement and power. That when even Jesus said his own name, people fell down. Because that's an eternal Christ that we're following. You know, we committed that we're never going to go back. We're never going to turn back to our false gods. We're never going to disgrace the cross of Christ. And we may take a, take a side step here or a side step there. But God's grace will bring, a, bring us back. But we're not going to turn our back on Christ, and never come back. So today, don't make a right vow. I mean, don't make a rash vow, but make a right vow to God. If you've never made that vow to God, today's the day. Give yourself to Him, not in a, in a rash way, but a careful, faithful decision to Christ. If you've made the vow before, let's remake that vow. Jesus 
is the Lord of my life. Whatever he wants me to do, I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Amen. Let's go to point number three, Judges 12. Judges 12. This is where Jephthah kind of lost me. It says, The men of Ephraim called out their forces, crossed over to Zephron, and said to Jephthah, Why do you go to fight the Ammonites without calling us to go with you? We are going down to burn your house over your head. Jephthah answered, I and my people were engaged in a great struggle with the Ammonites. And although I called you, you didn't, you didn't save me out of their hands. When I saw that you wouldn't help, I took my life in my hands and crossed over to fight the Ammonites. And the Lord gave me the victory over them. Now, why have you come up today to fight with me? Jephthah then called together the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. The Gileadites struck them down because the Ephraimites had said, You Gileadites are renegades from Ephraim and Manasseh. The Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan, leading to Ephraim. And wherever a survivor of Ephraim said, Let me cross over. The men of Gilead asked him, Are you an Ephraimite? If he replied, No, they said, All right, say Shibboleth. And if he said Sibboleth, because he could not pronounce the word correctly... They seized him and killed him at the fords of the Jordan. They found him by his accent. 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at that time. Jephthah led Israel six years. Wow. What a, a difficult time. What a challenging situation. He comes back from this battle... And his brothers are accusing him of not including them when he actually invited them, but they didn't want to come. And then you had a great victory, and now they all want to be a part of it. And I don't know what happened, right? One side seems right until the other one comes forward. But point number three, be the bigger person. I got the kick out of this picture. This picture is little kid pushing this guy all around. Uh, him like, what are you doing? You see, back in chapter 8, the Ephraimites did exactly the same thing to, um, to the guy. Jake's guy. Gideon. They did the same thing to Gideon. They got upset after the battle and Gideon went out and he talked them off the ledge and Everybody was friends afterwards, but not with, not with Jephthah. Hey, you get in his face, he's getting back in your face twice as much. And so nobody stood down and 42,000 people died because they were too proud to lose the argument. They were too proud to apologize. They were too proud to be humble to find some good in the other person. That's what, that's what they did before. Or in another way to put it, they were too proud to be the sheep. Like it said, that Jesus, as the sheep was silent, so was he silent. They were too proud to be quiet and just take it, even if it wasn't right and even if it wasn't true in their minds. They, don't let your ego win. If, you're in an, if you have issue with somebody, be the bigger person. Be the spiritual person. 
stand down. The relationship is more important than whatever it is that you're about to go to blows over. You know, in our world at this time, this is needed more than any time I can remember in my life. There is more division and animosity and contentiousness based on religion and race and politics. Don't be one of those people. We had our family reunion and we had it. Where was it? It was at our dinner table in the form of my nephew. He would not let it go. And we're all sitting there and you just see one by one we're kind of checking out of the conversation. And I was so proud of Chloe. She was so good. And she stayed so calm. I mean, I thought she was going to just be across the table in this guy. But she did so good. And I just remember thinking, you know what? Nobody's mind was changed. I didn't change your mind. You didn't change my mind. All you did was divide us. Last time you got an argument with somebody that had a different opinion to you, did it, did it work? Did they say, you know what? Because you shared that fact with me, I, I'm changed. Or be, you ever said that to them? You know, wow, that's a really compelling argument. I have never thought about that in my previous 50 years of life. Uh, today was the turning point for me. This one argument. Don't post your stuff on Facebook. It doesn't work. It just makes you look like this guy. You just lost friends. And yeah, there's certain things that we need to stand up for, but let's stand up for spiritual things. Let's stand up for things that are going to make an eternal difference. Whether someone's on this side of the aisle or that side of the aisle, it, that's not, God's not going to check before they get into heaven. Right? Their sins are forgiven or not. It doesn't matter what your beliefs are on all these things that we get. I get wrapped around. I get messed up, too. Who's going to be the people that are going to show the world that relationships are more valuable than your opinion and my opinion? Who's going to be the one? Not just to check out, but to share your heart and maybe ask them, why do they believe what they believe? I got this article from Josh Smith this week. It was... This is where I'm coming from on this. But it was like, just ask them why they feel so strongly. Actually, get to know them a little bit. There's a reason why they feel so strongly about this or that. And it's probably a pretty good reason if you just would kind of find out what it is. Sure. You know, let's be bridge builders and people that can be big, bigger people for God. Amen. So let's live for God. Let's make a decision to live for him, not the other way around. Live a blessed life, not a cursed life. Make a, make a right vow. And be the bigger person. Lessons from Jephthah. Thank you.